I do this every week. Sorry, I'm rearranging as well. Oh, leave me alone, Siri. Okay. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with me uh, this morning as I, as I bring the, the message, as I share the word. I, I pray that you would help me to be faithful, uh, help me to speak uh, the truth in love. I pray that your spirit would move and, and be in my words. And, and Lord, if necessary, that, that you would speak in my place and, and shut my mouth. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray for the folks who are here, that they would hear from you, uh, that they would know you more by hearing your voice. Um, I pray that we would be uh, just fed this morning, and, and those who don't know you would come to know you, and, and just in everything, that your word would not come back empty. In Christ's name, amen. Does anybody have a camera with them? Uh, any camera. I, I actually brought three with me this morning. Does anybody not have a camera with them? Let's ask it this way. Titus doesn't have one. You don't have a camera phone, Dwayne? Oh, you left him. <laughs> you went somewhere without your phone? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's... Did you? You left your phone at home? Oh. Ah, so you have your camera with you. I, we live in a time when um, everybody carries a camera with them, right? Uh, when actually every day, I read this recently, every day, or actually I think it might even be every hour, more photographs are taken than in the first hundred years that photography existed. Um, cameras are everywhere, right? And actually, uh, this morning I was reading about... Uh, about uh, Kodak. Uh, y'all, are, y'all are familiar with Kodak. For some of you guys that are young, you might need to pay attention to this part so you can know a little bit about cameras. Um, Kodak uh, was a company that was started by, and I got to look the guy's name up because I can never remember names, uh, George Eastman. And in 1885, George Eastman uh, started the Kodak Corporation, and he patented the first roll of film. Now, for everyone who's young here, once upon a time, when you took photographs, you used to have to use this stuff called film. And it came in a little roll, and you would stick it in the camera and, like, wind it in, and that's how you would take pictures. And then you would have to take your, your roll of film either to a drive through camera hut, or you'd have to mail it somewhere or whatever, and they would send you back actual physical copies of your pictures. Um, and so in 1885, the Kodak Corporation basically invented this rolled film. Then in 1900, um, George Eastman released a thing called the Brownie camera. The Brownie camera cost $1. And it was the first camera that was widely used. And actually the whole idea was you just press the button and we'll do all the work was actually their motto. And, And the Brownie camera made it so that like everyone had a camera all of a sudden, or not everyone, but every home. Like it became a very common thing for people to own cameras and take photographs. Um, about 30 years later, a thing called um, Kodachrome, I think is the proper name for it, came out. And it was like a Kodak created this 
film that was used for making movies. And it was actually the standard for making movies until about 20 years ago. Every film was made on Kodak film, this invented stuff that they just slowly innovated and improved. And like I think at the height of their, actually for the majority of the century, the 20th century, Kodak controlled about 90% of the film market, right? They don't really, you don't buy film very often anymore. Is that about right? I mean, even people who take a lot of pictures, like, like Lori in the back there, do you buy film? No, because? Because I have a digital camera. Does anybody know what the first digital camera was? Or who invented it? Or what year? I'll even give you extra credit for the year. Like I'll... So the very first digital camera was invented by an engineer, by an engineer at Kodak in 1975 and it actually took 23 seconds to like to take a picture because the picture was recorded on an audio cassette that you would stick in your computer and like transfer it it was black and white it was 100 by 100 that is 0.01 megapixels right and when he brought this invention out it was like the size of a toaster i have a picture i'll show you in a second when he, when he brought this, this first camera, first digital camera out to show the executives at Kodak, they were so impressed and they saw the potential for this invention. And you know what they did? They destroyed it. Because it was the death of film. And they saw it and they said, oh my gosh, this innovation is going to destroy us. The second digital camera, the first commercially available, well, not commercially available, the first publicly available camera was also invented by a Kodak guy who released the plans to popular mechanics. And it was the first camera you could plug into your computer in 1975. And actually, I'll show you my pictures here. This is the first camera. Craig got one of these for Christmas in his college years, I think. <laughs> Um, here's the second one, the Cyclops, um, the first two cameras. However, the first popularly available camera that you could buy in a store came from Logitech in 1990. Kodak was ready to release a commercially, like, like a commercially viable, like you could just buy it and own one digital camera in 1990 and the executives rejected it because it would damage the film market. And so they went from being this company where their entire operation was about invention and innovation and making photography available to the average person. And by the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they were about selling film. Do you see the difference? What happened in the meantime was they got rich, they got comfortable, they got fat and lazy, and then they focused on one thing, which was not their original purpose, right? It was not their original mission. In 2012, Kodak filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. 
Um, throughout the 90s, when it became clear that cameras were going to be a thing, digital cameras were a thing, they invested billions of dollars into camera phones instead of cameras because they didn't want people to stop buying film. And they never got out of that rut. It wasn't until way late, and it, by then it was over. They didn't control the market. Like, they couldn't control the market anymore. They couldn't come back. And, like, they're still around, but they're not the monster they used to be. The reason I'm opening with this, now watch this. We're going to be talking about the mission of the church. And I am here to tell you, if you look at the beginning, like, read the book of Acts, the mission was everything. Right? The mission was everything and then some. And you go forward, and there are stories about men who did amazing things in the name of the mission. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, was about a group of German missionaries, a pair of German missionaries, who sold themselves into slavery so they could get to an island where the owner of a plantation on the island would not allow like anybody to proselytize his slaves. And so they sold themselves into slavery to that man, used the money from their own sale to take a ship to the island, and they died there like nobody even knows when they died. Like they lived there probably about six months before they died because that was the average lifespan for slaves on that island. And in the end, like you flash forward 100 years later, and it's like an entirely Christian island now. That is the mission, right? That is a focus on the mission. That is a laser-sharp, paying attention, this is what we're here for, focus. Um, we're talking about the church for the last month or so, and I, like, we've talked about the purpose of the church, but understand the purpose of the church is not its mission, right? The mission of the church is the job we're sent to do. The purpose we have, like, grows into that job, but the purpose of the church, like we're here to complete Christ, right? We complete his person in the world. We're his hands and feet, and therefore we can proceed with the mission, right? Um, we're his presence in the world doing the mission. Um, his plan for salvation, his program, his like portraying Christ to the world and like the completion of his power, like which is what we've been talking about, this idea, but it doesn't stop there. And like the church has done an amazing job of completing its mission. But the mission isn't unique to the New Testament. That's what's amazing. If you read the whole of the scriptures, and we're going to look at just Isaiah this morning. Watch this. Um, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established in the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God, the God of Jacob. He will receive us, or he will teach us his ways. By the way, teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. What does that sound like? It sounds suspiciously like make disciples, right? Teaching them everything I've taught you. Like, the law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will take up, uh, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war um, anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, why am I starting with this? I'm starting with this because... Like, there, it's very popular to say that the Judaic religion is not a religion of proselytization. They don't go out and spread the word. And that's actually maybe true, but it wasn't the intent. 
Like God's people, like their goal ultimately was to be his people in the world. And you do see early converts. And actually, if you look, if you look at the lineage of Christ as it's presented, um, the genealogies, the ones that we all skip over, right? There's a mess of pagans mixed in, including, for example, Rahab, who was a prostitute in Jericho, and she had heard about the Lord, and she had heard about, like, the Judaic religion, and she trusted in God and was, like, brought into the nation. And, in fact, baptism in the Jewish tradition precedes Christianity by hundreds of years because you would convert people to Judaism and you would baptize them when they were ready to join. Like, it was a ceremonial washing. Um, The whole purpose of Israel was to be like this light to the world. And they lost sight of it. (laughs) And eventually, like, God starts calling them out on their mistakes. He's like, guys, I don't even want your sacrifices. I want you to do these things, right? Practice mercy. Like, do justice. Do these things you're supposed to do. I don't care about the other stuff. Do what you're supposed to do. And they never managed it. Um, Because they lost focus for what they were there for, right? Um, and, and this is, well, we'll I'm going to get ahead of myself here. Uh, we're going to jump over to Isaiah 9 because I'm already starting to go long. It's awful. Um, so Matthew 28. At the very end of the Gospels, um, or at the Gospel of Matthew, we have Christ giving the uh, Great Commission. And this is the one time where Jesus specifically calls a meeting, right? And he's got the 11. Judas isn't there because Judas, like, was dead and stuff. Um, And then there was the 500, right? And there was another group. And that group is us, by extension, of reading this commissioning. So Jesus calls all of his people together, calls the 11, calls the 500 that Paul talks about, and then calls the universal church together through Matthew's words and through the words of the other disciples. Like, and he says, uh, like he has this planned meeting. When the eleven went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, some doubted. There are folks who will read that and say, oh, well, some didn't believe it was actually Jesus. That's not what this means. Some of them looked at it and they were uncertain how they were going to follow through with this. Right? They're like, man, this is a scary task. Right? This is a big job in front of us. And so they're looking at the big job. They're looking at Christ. They're looking at the change in the world. And they're like, well, what's going to happen next? Um, And Jesus is about to tell them. Then Jesus came to them, to the 11, to the 500, and to us, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Christ begins by announcing, everything is mine, guys. All of it. I am officially having died, resurrected, and been placed at the right hand of the Father. Everything in creation is mine. Everything is under my control. Everything is under my authority. And now it's your job to go out and make that a reality. Right. Because that's essentially what the Great Commission is like the kingdom coming. The kingdom comes because we create the kingdom in the world around us. Right. That is um, once upon a time, uh, Coca-Cola, their their organizational objective was to make certain that everybody in the world tasted a Coke once in their life. Like 
Like, that is a clear goal, right? This is, guys, everything is mine. Now go make it real, right? Go make it happen. He goes on. He says, therefore. Now watch this. This is a sentence that is a little obscured in the Greek language. And so it's easy to miss what's going on here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, um, the phrase there, make disciples, is the primary clause of the sentence. Okay? Everything else is a subordinate clause, meaning the command is make disciples. And our job, folks, and the job from the very, very, very beginning of the church is that. Make disciples. It's not get people to say a prayer. Right? It's not um, Christianize the culture. It's not, um, you know, fill the pews. It's not make sure that we've got enough money coming in to put a new roof on if we need to. It's not... None of those things. It is make disciples. That's about as simple as it gets, right? It just is. Like Jesus gives us the perfect example of making disciples. He finds 11 guys. and He's like, all right, guys, let's go. And he shares his life with them and teaches them. It was actually in a grand tradition of rabbis. They would have disciples who would follow them around and they did all their teaching walking. You know why? Because everything was practical. You would walk from place to place and the disciples would follow you and you would talk about life. And the, like Rabbi would explain life to the people around him. How do we make disciples? We share our lives together. And we teach folks how Christ applies to life. It's not even that complicated. I mean, along the way we have to learn to understand the scriptures better, Right? Along the way, we need to understand who God is and who Jesus is. But, like, the whole discipleship process is, is, is what Christ did. It's share your lives, teach, and grow. Right? That's it. Um, we do this with our, our kids in a way that isn't really about necessarily discipleship. Like, good parents, they spend their time with their kids, Right? They teach their kids when they do stuff wrong. They teach them how to read. They play games with them. They invest in them and everything else. And, like, ultimately, for better or for worse, the kid grows up to be like their parents. You know why? Because you spend, like, 11, 12 years, like, being the primary influence on their lives. That's it. The church's job is to make disciples. Um, we're going to jump to Ephesians, which we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I just wanted to touch on it for this reason. Well, what does that even look like? Slaves. Now, this is the household code, and I'm jumping into the most controversial bit of it. So, like, more controversial than husbands and wives because there are actual, like, wars with bloodshed fought over these texts. Um, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, is he saying slavery is good? He is not. Um, he is saying, guys, if you discover yourself in a position where you are a slave and this is the life you lead, live your faith in relation to your position. Be Christ's representatives where you are. I'm, that's my quick disclaimer. I'm not saying slavery is good. Slavery isn't like 
is a wicked institution. It's an awful thing. Um, and this is a sermon about that. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but, now watch this, as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your hearts. What it means to be a disciple of Christ, what it means to be a disciple of Christ is to be a slave, a doulos of Christ. Like, and actually Paul describes himself that way. He says, I am a doulos in Christ in chains for, you know, like we, we see this over and over again, like because we are called to belong to him. Well, why do I belong to Christ? Because he bought me with his blood. Like when I was a slave to my own sin, to my own wickedness, to my own fallen nature, to, to you know, all of the things of the world that I worship that are not God, like Christ bought me out of that slavery and I belong to him. And you know what? That's where I want to be. And ultimately, when we present the faith to folks, what we're advertising isn't a way to make your life more comfortable. It's not. And actually, it's a very popular thing to see in churches where like, you know, hey, here's our new program. We're going to tell you the purpose of your life so you can live the most fulfilled and happy existence you can have right now. Christianity ain't about you. It's about Christ, right? We're here to serve Christ, to belong to him, to be bought like as his people. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whatever they are, excuse me, whether they are slaves or free. And so he says, listen, at the end of the day, what we're called to do is serve the people around us as though we're serving Christ. We're to love the people around us as though we're loving Christ. We're to like be Christ's man in the moment, his disciples, right? And so that passage, go therefore and make disciples. What are we going and doing? We're making slaves to Christ. We're not making pew sitters. We're not making giving units, which is a phrase you see in church development conferences. I'm not making that up. We're not, you know, making sure that we got more people showing up. We're not being the hippest, coolest church in the world. We're not being any of that. We are creating slaves to Christ. This is the mission. This is innovation on the level of the new role of film. The first $1 camera. Like this is innovation that changed the world. Um, we see in Acts, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the date. The father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power by the Holy Spirit that comes on you um, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth well, what's going on here like this is right before Christ leaves in the beginning of the book of Acts right and they're like hey you're going to establish this earthly kingdom now he's like hey it's not your job to know when your job is to go and be my representatives you are my people going out to the whole world um, why am I citing this? Because I wanted to, like, double down on this idea that we are to go, right? We're to go. There's this popular idea that started in the 90s in church culture that the way that we convert people is getting them to show up and sit in pews. And I take that into account, and I preach the gospel every time I stand up, every time. You know why? So I want people to hear about Jesus, and I want you guys to hear about Jesus every time because I want you to remember the truth 
that we're all about. This is our mission. Let us not forget it, right? We are here because we belong to Christ. We are here because we are bought from our state of like, like desperate, you know, desperate, you know, death in our sin, and we belong to Christ. And our job now is to go as his servants. We are to go. If I was hired by Dwayne Beerwagon to go work on his farm, and I decided to hang out in the shop all day and not work, how long would it be before you fired me? <laughs> so, before the end of the morning. <laughs> um, the reality is that the mission we have is to go. And everything we do is supposed to be organized around this reality. If I have a farm and the majority of the work my farm does is hanging out in the shop and chewing the fat and not working, what's going to happen to my farm? It's going to disappear very quickly, right? Um, one of the problems the church faces today is that we have, like the church universal, I'm not talking about you guys necessarily, if, it, if I'm stepping on your toes, I didn't mean to. One of the problems, or maybe I did, who knows. Um, one of the problems the church is facing today is that we have controlled the market for so long. We have sold most of the film to everyone, and then we look and we say, you know what, there are a lot of really lost people out there. A lot of people who are confused about the basic issues of life. A lot of people who are addicted to pornography. A lot of people who are thieves and, like, dishonest. A lot of people who want to kill babies in the womb. A lot of people who wanted this and a lot of people who wanted that and, like, are, are dead inside. And we're looking at those folks and we're saying... Maybe if we Christianize the culture, we can fix that. Maybe if we have a cooler service, people will show up. Maybe if we, maybe if we, and at the end of the day, we're repackaging something that isn't working. What the church needs to do, what we were designed to do, what our mission is, is to make disciples is to share Christ with the world, to tell people, you are in need of salvation. Like, this misery you have, like, this is a byproduct of death that we have in the world. Christians go through hard times, but we turn around and we don't mourn like people who have no hope. We have Christ who died for our sins, and we know that we'll be reunited with our brothers and sisters in eternity because we're forgiven and because we belong to him. The reality is, the reality is, um, we're to go out and share that message, make disciples, teach like people to follow Christ. And we have to go out there. We have to be there to do it. We have to be a part of other people's lives in order to do it. And that's a really hard part because most, I mean, honestly, it's really hard to make people a part of your lives, right? I mean, especially since a lot of people who are really lost are not people you want to spend a whole lot of time around. Isn't it true? They might smell bad. They might, you know, make really bad decisions. You might know that they're doing some kind of wicked things that you're not cool with. You might be afraid that if I stand too close to this guy, everybody's going to assume I'm just like them or whatever. I mean, like, the reality is it's a hard thing to do. We have to go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Um, baptism. 
This is Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? This is Paul writing a letter to, of personal introduction to the Romans, which just tells you what kind of a person Paul was. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore are buried with him through our baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What Paul is talking about here is, and what we teach as a church, is that in baptism we're buried in death to our old life. And so we're to go and we're to teach people about who Christ is so they can be baptized, not just dunked in water, right? We're not installing a dunk tank or anything like that, but that they can be baptized spiritually, that they can be made new in Christ so that we can do this symbolic thing of something that's a reality within them. And we can bury them to their old lives and bring them back to life in Christ. Like the disciples were making, the disciples were called to make, aren't people who just show up and have a membership card now. There are people who have died to their sins. And there are folks around us, and I know because I work here, and because I'm a part of y'all's lives, and I love you all dearly. Like, there are people all around us who are dying in their sins and wrestling with their sins, and more than anything, they need people to gather around them that they can trust, that they can be like, oh, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, this pornography thing, hey, this fighting with my spouse thing, hey, this this thing, you know, or this other thing. These things are weighing me down and killing me, and I'm having trouble putting them to death. And then we as the body rally around each other and encourage each other and teach and raise up and pray for, and that is disciple-making. It is creating people who die to their old selves and are risen again as slaves to Christ. That is the revolutionary idea that changed the world. And teaching them, this is where Paul finishes, and this is the third subordinate clause. So it's go, baptize, teach. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always with, or I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to emphasize that, to the very end of the age. That means that there is no end point. We don't quit, right? Oh, Check it out, like the church had its best attendance ever in 1945, and it was awesome, and now we're done, guys. <laughs> Throw it on the shelf, it is finished. Nope. Every generation of us has to pick this up and do it. Uh, Jim, Durga, I am waking you up, but I'm also citing you because you gave me the perfect example. Outside of my office, there is a headless Batman cardboard cutout. And Jim went and used the bathroom outside my office, even though it's the pastor's bathroom. But, <laughs> but it's okay. I can share because I don't have a choice. Um, <laughs> but Jim went into the bathroom, and he put his Bible down at the feet of my Batman cutout, and he said, keep an eye on that for me. <laughs> and he went in and used the bathroom and came back out, and he told me, he's like, you know, I thought it was funny. I told a headless cardboard cutout to watch my Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, the generation before us has put the Bible in our hands. 
that has put the gospel in our hands. And our job, our job is to carry out our mission. Our job is to take that gospel to a dead and dying world. And I'll ask it again. Are we a headless cardboard cutout? Or are we the heroes? Are we the evangelists? Are we the slaves to Christ that this world needs? Not the one it deserves, but the one it needs. See what I did there? Um, And so my challenge for you today, guys, my challenge for you um, is to look at your heart, is to look at your life and ask yourself, am I preserving the status quo? Am I protecting the film market in my life? Am I showing up every Sunday and enjoying, you know, great preaching and, and great music? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure I still got attention. I know I'm... Anyway, um, am I just showing up? Am I enjoying the fellowship or am I taking the gospel out? I've talked to folks this week, a handful of folks actually, who shared the gospel with folks, who invested in the lives of people who are lost, who um, put themselves in uncomfortable positions to, to be Christ's presence and his power and his body in the lives of people who needed him. And that is an amazing thing. It's, I'm blessed that I'm surrounded by people who would do that. My question is, are you preserving the status quo? Or are you going and making disciples? Are you enjoying your comfortable spot and your comfortable pew? Are you acting as a slave to Christ? I have a lamp. Here. I don't know if you can see it online. You can barely see it from where you're at. Um, I bought it in Bethlehem. There's a cheap replica of what would have been a very cheap lamp back in the first century. And when Christ taught that you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, right? You don't light a lamp and hide it. You put it out where the world can see it. I, I started out talking about cameras. And cameras, I mean, I guess they're important, but they're not life-changing. They're not world-shaking. They are not the change that God desires of us. We have a mission that changes the world. And Christ said, don't hide your light. Instead, go out and share the gospel. I'm actually going to call James up because he's leaving us, and I want to humiliate him. for. A, I'm going to put him on the spot. Come here, James. James is leaving us, so I want us to pray for him. We're going to lay hands, and we're going to pray for him. Okay? If you're not comfortable laying hands because of COVID, and I'm going to give him one of two lamps I bought, one of three lamps I bought in Israel. And you're going to go, and you're going to carry the light of the gospel with you. And, you know, as much as anything else, I would hope that you'd be a missionary of the body of Christ here, you know, to share the gospel with everyone you encounter. Because, I mean, James is going a little farther. Don't worry, he'll be back. Um But every one of us goes. We may not pack up our car to go. You may walk down the street to go. You may show up at work to go. You may hop on Facebook to go. You may whatever. Like, But all of us goes. And the question is, when you go, are you doing the important part? The primary clause. Are you sharing the gospel and making disciples and teaching and baptizing? Like, is this who we are, folks? So everybody come on up and we'll pray. And uh, we can leave the stream on so that people can pray for James remotely. Put your hands on the screen. No, I'm...
And I'll give everybody a few more seconds to get up here. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I Heavenly Father, 